0: IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IndieCast. On this show, we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode, in honor of the new NFL season, we conduct our first ever Fall Albums Fantasy Draft. Can't wait! My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He's doing most of the work today because it's my birthday, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you?
1: You know, the times like these, I wish we did, I don't know, like a YouTube or something more uh, with a a visual element because, you know, first off, happy birthday. And instead of us giving you a gift, you've blessed us on the timeline with pictures of some of your favorite rock stars who also turned the age... That you're turning. I, I don't know if you want to reveal that
0: to the people, but uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, I like to measure. I like to measure myself in that way. I don't know if you do this, but you know, <laughs> I like a lot of. I like a lot of the classic rockers. So you know, every year I I, I get older. I'm 46 now. I like to think about like, what did Bob Dylan look like when he was 46? What did Bruce Springsteen Frisky, look risky? Like? That's what they're looking like. Springsteen. It was in the middle of Ghost of Tom Joad era. Yeah, uh, and he had like the long slick. Back, black hair. He had the goatee. Um, he's looking like a Cormac McCarthy character. Mm-hmm. Like, just I think it's like actually like one of the hardest looking Springsteens <laughs> of all of all the Springsteens. The the number one hardest Springsteen, of course, is Tunnel of Love. Right, Springsteen. The cover there. He. It's just like the fucking hardest guy that ever lived. And then number two, I think, might be Ghost of Ghost of Tom Joad era. Dylan. It was in the middle of his like late eighties wilderness period. 1987 he was touring with the dead he's looking like a homeless person uh and no disrespect to homeless people by comparing them to bob dylan in 1987 (laughs) he's just looking like he's like he's in rough shape he had like the leather gloves oh yeah with the fingers cut off it was like that era for him wearing like a hoodie very disheveled looking uh so i'm somewhere in between i think those two guys i'm uh not as slick as springsteen i'm not quite as disheveled as as dylan somewhere in the middle. but I'm 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 happy. I'm happy uh to to still be around.
1: Well, I'm looking at both uh Bruce Hornsby and Tom York at 46 and man, this really oh, yeah. does make an argument for listening to like Bruce Hornsby rather than music about like the existential dread of climate change and like our technological uh you know, our technological terrors going on cuz I mean, Bruce Hornsby like this is the this is like the quintessential like 46 year old man. Like, this is peak male performance in this picture. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, the thing with Hornsby that he mastered was that he looked like he was 46 in his 20s, (laughs) but he also looks like he's 46 in his 60s. Like, he's an omnipresent 46. So, you know, maybe when you're in your 20s, you don't want to look like you're 46, but it pays dividends over time. Mm -hmm. Like, so he's like the eternal 46 that we all wish we could be. I'm not that person. Uh, I, I, I feel like I look a little bit older than 46, to be honest, just because I've got a lot of uh, gray hair going into white hair at this point, which is, which is insane. But uh, you can't color it. You can't color your hair because they still haven't invented a convincing hair color. I love that we're talking about this. By the way, uh, <laughs> dye jobs. This is a new era of indie cast. But you know, like you know, like how whenever someone dyes their hair, it's very obvious. Yeah. It looks like a like a very unnatural brunette, yeah. or, Right, or, just or it's like wait style, like where he dyes <laughs> right. his beard. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like either way too dark, or it's like like a chocolatey brown hair. It's like a little unnatural, so you can't do that. I don't. I don't really. Like, I don't care that much. I'm. I'm. I'm embracing my. Uh, my silver fox era yeah. i like to think of it like that yeah, speaking so- of uh speaking of going to a guided by voices show what was robert pollard looking like at 46 well he was one of the people that dyed his hair for a long time really and yeah mm. he did if you if you go back and watch the video the, the strokes video for someday that guided by voices is in this is like one of the greatest music videos of Excellent. all time. i don't know if you've ever seen it oh yeah it's yeah, awesome like where- with slashes in it too right yeah, it's yeah, it's like the Strokes and GBV are on uh, Family Feud uh, during the era when Richard Karn hosted it from Home Improvement. <laughs> I, I'd forgotten that that was a thing until I rewatched the video uh, this uh, recently. Uh, Richard Karn, then the, uh, the uh, Al the right? sidekick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tool time, I think that's his name, Richard Karn. I'm pretty sure that's it.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you cook on this one. I feel like Home Improvement not- is more your lane.
0: It's not Richard Kind, the great no, Richard that's Kind definitely character not. actor, but it's Richard Carn, the guy with the beard. I'm pretty sure uh, that's it. Uh, uh, yeah, Richard Carn. Yep. You, you Googled it? He, yeah, yeah, I Googled it. And he's,
1: when he wears a hat, he looks like one of the other guys in the Beach Boys. <laughs>
0: like a Carl Wilson uh, vibe going on? I could, yeah, I, could, I think so. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to the GBV... Uh, anniversary concerts last weekend uh had a really good time hung out with two of my best friends we got an airbnb it was great ran into some other people saw chris deville of stereo gum shout out to him he hung out at the at the airbnb for a bit uh saw my buddy jake longstreth did a lot of bonding with him that was great saw some of my old ab club pals shout out keith phipps scott tobias (laughs) noel murray shout out to you folks um Concerts were interesting. I didn't. I didn't post about it. I didn't want to post at all. I I thought about it, but I don't want to post because I don't know if you've had this. When you post when you're at a show, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. I, I've had situations where I posted, and then you get some people in the replies who are negative creeps, and it takes you out of the show and it ruins it. You know, someone will just say something crappy, and and then you, you get into that. Like I'm focusing more on. My replies than the show and it's just stupid i didn't want to get sucked into that so i didn't post it all um i had kind of mixed feelings about these shows i have to admit um mm. i had a great time but and this might be me having jam band brain at this point but <laughs> like there were a lot of repeats on the second night like the second night overall was like a better performance and it just seemed like louder in there i don't know It was weird they were in this beautiful Masonic temple in Dayton, and it was almost like too nice of a venue for them. It was like a beautiful venue, but like you almost <laughs> want them to be like in a rundown theater or something. And the first night it seemed like a little stiff in the building, and it just wasn't turned up loud enough. The second night it was it sounded way better. Pollard, I think was drunker too that probably <laughs> that probably helped. Um, but I don't know there were a lot of repeats. On the second night, and I don't know. I just felt like, okay, these these are 40th anniversary shows. People are coming from out of town. And they basically just played like a regular Guided by Voices show both nights. Like, they didn't bring out any former members. He wasn't really busting out, like, deep cuts. I thought there might be more of, like, a retrospective feel to the show. Like, we're going to play songs from throughout our career, including songs we haven't played in a long time. Like, kind of like a special event. And they didn't really do that, and I was a little bummed out about that I felt like that was kind of like a missed opportunity it also made me think that I think Robert Pollard in general is someone who's a little ambivalent about his own history at least in terms of paying homage to his own history he's very much like a whatever the new album is whatever my next song is not really a looking back guy I wouldn't be surprised if these shows like weren't his idea like if someone else (laughs) brought up like you should do a 40th anniversary show um just because again, I don't I think in a way too, like he resents the idea that people look at the nineties as his golden era. I I I mm-hmm. I don't think he likes that. I think he's defensive about that, and I think he would say, My golden era is now. And like the version of the band now is the best version of the band. And people that would feel like, oh, I wanna see Tobin Sprout up there, or I wanna see Greg Demos up there. I don't know if these names mean anything to you. but but... (laughs) Tobin Sprout, yes.
1: I've been reading about Guided by Voices long enough to recognize that
0: name. Yeah, so I I feel like, because I think a lot of people in the audience would have have freaked out if Tobin Sprout showed up. They would have been really pumped (laughs) up. And I think Pollard on some level would probably resent that, you know. Right. Because it's like, (laughs) this is my band. It's what I'm doing now. So that was a little disappointing. Um, But yeah, the bathroom situation... Was, i gotta know was, was was you know obviously a lot more men at these shows <laughs> than women there were some bored looking wives in my vicinity <laughs> or girlfriends or partners um which by the way if you i would never take my wife to a guy by my voices show that that, that, that is a <laughs> yeah. that is a big ask i think that's why i've been married for 15 years i know not to do that sort of thing but um yeah, there was a situation there where, like, on the, on the first night, there was a bathroom downstairs that apparently no one knew about, except for, like, the few of us who ventured down there. So, like, you could go to that bathroom, and it was like tumbleweed was blowing through it. It was brilliant. Like, you could just go right up, <laughs> use it. And the bathroom upstairs, meanwhile, would be, like, you know, half a mile long line waiting to get in. The second night, they blocked that off for whatever reason. So, ah. so there was only one men's room. In the entire place, and there was probably like a couple thousand people there. I don't know. It seemed like the bad because there were like eight bars in that venue. <laughs> there were like two bars on every level of the theater, basically, but only one bathroom. That seems like kind of like a bad matchup to me. But I don't yeah, know. Overall, I'll, I didn't
1: I'm imagining like a Burning Man type situation where like we start hearing like news reports about how, like, thousands of uh, Guided by Voices fans are stranded with, like, no bathrooms. <laughs> right. And, like, right. Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's on the horn, like, hearing about, like, this natural disaster. But, you know, like, it, yeah, it, it sounds like it was fun. But, like, I I, I, I do think it kind of tracks with just what I know about Robert Pollard to, like, not make a huge deal about it. Like, he's just going to give you a Guided by Voices show in the same way that he gives you a Guided by Voices album. Right. Right. What I'm, I'm also just interested in knowing um, how the crowd received some of the openers because, you know, I imagine that uh, a, 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 some percentage of that crowd are people who sort of kind of checked out on indie rock, you know, either in 98, 2002, whatever. And I would imagine like, you know, the newer bands like Kiwi Jr. and Wednesday, like, it's like, wow, they still make bands like this. And all of a sudden we're like, left with a 48-year-old being, like, the biggest Wednesday fan ever. Did you see anything like that?
0: Well, I'm going to be honest. I didn't see Wednesday or Kiwi Jr. I didn't show up ah. that early to the shows. I Another complaint I would have, I, these, these were great bills. I mean, you had the first night it was uh, GBV, Dinosaur Jr., and then Kiwi Jr., and then the second night it was built to spill. Um, uh, Heartless Bastards, and then Wednesday. Wednesday was the opener. and um. It's just too many bands. They're all great bands, <laughs> but like it was too many bands, and like you know, you're having like the pre gaming thing going on. You're like meeting up people, and it was like to get to the venue at seven o'clock, knowing that you're going to leave at quarter to one. Like I just couldn't Oof. do it. I couldn't. I couldn't be there for like five and a half hours. So I miss Wednesday. I've seen Wednesday before. I, I so I know they're great. That didn't. I. I know anecdotally, talking to people that there were some converts to Wednesday, just from people I talked to there who did see them and didn't know anything about them going into it. They became a fan because of that um, performance. But I don't know. It was weird. Like it didn't even seem like the audience was that excited about Built a Spill. Like there wasn't. Huh. I felt like the people around me didn't know who they were. I don't know. Wow. It was a very, I, which is a very strange thing. It's like if you're a Guided by Voices fan you got to be a bts fan as well. Maybe they thought it was the other bts showing up. They were confused. <laughs> sure <laughs> It wasn't the k-pop band. Um I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking about when I went to see
1: Hum and Mineral play shows like you know like very similar bands and like none of the hum fans were like stoked about mineral at all despite them being seen as like working in the same lane now and they kind of were in the 90s. But I'm like shocked because, like, I've been to Built to Spill shows, and I've seen, like, Guided by Voices t-shirts t- there, so... Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know. Maybe it's just my section. I, I But I felt like... Because they played mostly hits, and it was great. And they have... There's, like, a new thing now, like, where he has, like, a female rhythm section that is awesome. Like, his rhythm section's oh, really good. Doug Marsh? Yeah. Yeah, Built to Spill. Oh, I thought you were talking about Robert Pollard. For uh, a second, no, that No, would, no, like, uh, no. Doug Marsh. It's, it's like he... It's a reconstituted band. Mm-hmm. Um... But his rhythm section's really good. I kind of wish he had another guitar player, just so that, yeah. so the guitars would be a little bigger. But, you know, it's still always a pleasure to see Doug Marsh play guitar. So, that, yeah. that was really good. Dinosaur Jr. was great. It was a good weekend. Um, did you see the action this week on social media? There was a little bit of a feud going <laughs> on between two yeah. DIY icons from different generations. Uh, Jeff Rosenstock uh who it's hard to imagine him feuding with anybody very nice guy very likable guy very you know a guy you want to cheer for uh and then you have steve albini who is not that uh (laughs) they got into it kind of this week and it was really weird i okay so like did you follow this at all
1: you know, there, there were times, especially this weekend, where there were, like, things popping off on social media, and I'm asking myself, should, should, like, this sounds like good topic for the pod, but, like, do I want to bother Steve at his uh, Guide by Voices festival? Or, But, yeah, with this, this fortunately this happened when both of us were back in town, and I saw it. I mean, work's been super busy this week because it's a short week with Labor Day, and it's like, when I saw it, um, you know, I, I, I just think, I, I saw the original tweet, Uh, where jeff rosenstock laid out you know as he's prone to do hey this is what it's like for us on tour here's what each venue that you know of that you think already sucks like this is what the merch cut is and you know it's like jeff rosenstock like like you were saying one of the most consensusly beloved figures in indie or punk or what have you and one of the most like incontrovertible takes like who the fuck doesn't think that merch cuts suck this is something that's been discussed you know on and on and on throughout the past couple of years and, yeah, and you just figure like okay cool Jeff's Jeff's doing his thing and, and, and just I don't know a, how this became a controversy
0: yeah and just to elaborate here like he posted like a spreadsheet listing every city on his upcoming tour and he listed how much each venue is taking from his merch like for those who don't know it's a common thing now for a venue to take a percentage of an artist's merchandise sales you know and it might be it might be 20%, might be even more than that. And the argument from the venue side is that we are providing a space for you to sell your shirts, your stickers, your CDs, vinyl, whatever. So we are entitled to a cut of that. Of course, the only reason why anyone is at this venue in the first place is because of the band or the artist, and the venue is already making a ton of money from alcohol sales, from yeah. food sales, what have you, and the artist isn't getting a cut of that stuff. But they are, but the venue is asking for a cut of merchandise sales. I think this is something like you said. Anyone would look at and go, "Well, that is so unfair to the artist." You know, of course, this shouldn't be allowed to go on. And enter Steve Albini into the situation, <laughs> and and he's not. It's a very odd thing because okay. He's not arguing against Jeff Rosenstock necessarily. He's not arguing in favor of venues taking a merch cut what he what he What he came in to say was that um, basically that you're a fool if you allow venues to do this because either you or your booking agent should be insisting that venues not take a cut of your merchandise. And then Albini says, in 40 years of playing shows, I've never had anyone take a cut of my merchandise because I put my foot down and it doesn't happen. And it's one of those things like where, (laughs) let's just say he's right. Let's just say he insists. And it's not because he's Steve Albini, who in the world of rock clubs, he is a celebrity. He is an iconic, legendary figure. You know, there's no argument. Yeah, and that. How often
1: does he tour? You know, like well, yeah, know that he makes too. music, but it's like, oh, cool, Shellac is touring for the first time in ten years. You know, what right, I'm
0: you're right, and yeah, he's certainly not going on the road for like a month or two at a time. You know, he's probably playing like weekend runs or you know, like four or five shows in a row or something like that. Because um, Albini, like in a subsequent post, he's insisting, well, it's not because I'm Steve Albini; it's just because I have the wherewithal or the acumen <laughs> to insist that I'm not going to pay these, uh, I'm not going to pay out to these venues. But let's just say he's right. Okay. Let's just say that, okay, if you insist and anyone, any band, any, doesn't matter who you are. If you just insist on not paying, then that will be good enough and you won't have to do it. There is a way to frame that where it doesn't come off like you're calling people a sucker or like you're calling yeah. Jeff Rosenstock a sucker. You could say, you know, I've, I've always insisted. I'm not going to pay these merch cuts, but it sucks that you have to insist. Like, why should people have to insist on that? It shouldn't even happen in the first place, or it shouldn't even come up as a demand. Like, he could have framed it that way, but I don't know. Did you see that story uh, that Jeremy Gordon wrote for The Guardian about Albini? It was like a big profile. Did you, did you read that?
1: Yeah, it seemed like kind of this culmination of um, Steve Albini. Sort of taking opportunities to kind of apologize for being this uh, kind of punk rock curmudgeon in the past, you know, from calling, you know, a band Rape Man back in the 80s. And, you know, also the uh, his war against what was it like three whores in their press music stooge or something like that. That, that right. famous article he wrote about Smashing Pumpkins, Liz Fair, and, uh Urge Overkill. Right. And, Yeah, it's just kind of like, hey, I've softened in my time. Let me tell you about it. Right. You you get Gavin Rossdale to vouch for the guy.
0: (laughs) Right. I love that. uh, It it was a good story, by the way. Jeremy Gordon, if you're out there listening. It was a really good story. Um, But I know when I was reading it, I kind of disagreed with the premise of the story a little bit, which was that Steve Albini was a jerk in the 80s and 90s, and he's not a jerk anymore. I kind of think... He has a lot of jerky tendencies still. It's just that he has more of like a social justice bent to his persona now that he didn't have in the eighties and nineties. Like in the eighties and nineties he was like this sort of punk rock transgressive guy, you know Edgelord shit. Yeah, it was like the peak of like ironic misogyny and ironic like where you say these offensive things but you like don't actually mean them allegedly. Um and now he's a person who wouldn't do that sort of thing. And he's much more of like the, he, I mean, he is like the sort of like middle age MSNBC watcher type poster now. Like, <laughs> you know, if we can like just add like that as an archetype, you know, like that's basically what he is now in his public persona. Um, but I do think that again, like with Albini, he does have this arrogance, this sort of condescension about him that rubs me personally the wrong way. Like the thing with Albini, look, great musician, great engineer great producer his rhythm section sound you know that signature rhythm section sound heavy abrasive violent sounding brilliant you know he's a great musician and maker of music uh his persona though uh he's a boorish person and i think Mm -hmm. he still is kind of a boorish person And, and, and this whole thing kind of bore that out i mean we haven't even brought the propaganda uh, or propagandi part of this? Is it, is, 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 <laughs> I would imagine it's propagandi. Yeah, propagandi. We haven't brought we haven't brought up that part of the story. That was like the right. <laughs> like, like the like, like like the tag team, the middle aged punk tag team. Like I'm going to tag you in. Albini's tagging out, and and someone from Papa, propaganda they got involved in here. What did they tweet? They tweeted. It's not about like
1: sweatshop like garments like oh look at you taking a merch cut on your sweatshop garments like it's a, you know like a pretty obvious gotcha and Jeff's like yeah these are not sweatshop garments but uh, it says <laughs>
0: bands bands really hate to be charged merch rates on their sweatshop garments uh, right is, is, is the uh, is the tweet um, sweatshop garments what a phrase I mean <laughs> speaking of GBV that could be a good GBV <laughs> song type. but it's like uh, propaganda is are they do they not sell merch? Is that the thing here? Or, or uh, when they sell merch, are they selling like flowing robes and shawls? Like I'm thinking <laughs> of garments. Like right. are they selling <laughs> garments of, of of that nature? Uh, or is this like a Fugazi thing like where you shouldn't sell merch? Is, like, is, is that the stance here?
1: I'll be honest. Like, it, and I'm going to out myself. Like I've never listened to a note of propaganda music. Like my understanding is that it's sort of like if you take the, I guess, the ethics of Fugazi or just that general worldview, but like, you know, without music, you know, without like the great music, they just seem like one of those bands who, if you miss out on them as like a 16 year old, like you're never going to get into propaganda because their worldview is just like, so us against them. And I think with like and like from from the looks of things like a lot of people were both like oh man that's really a bummer that like propaganda is like weighing in on this and they sound like old cranks and secondly yeah i'm not surprised that this is what propaganda thinks in the year 2023 you know it's like we rightfully mock you know like punk guys who at the moment they turn 25 they start becoming like alt country dudes or like jazz dudes and you know what? Like after seeing this discussion, I think that's a way better outcome than like continuing to be a punk guy in your like forties and fifties because oh, that yeah. just leads your ass to some dark, dark places. I'm not even gonna get into like the Chromags, dude that are. It's way that, worse. You know, it's way yeah. worse. I think, especially if you're like a Southern California punk band, like that whole scene. <laughs> it's, it's oh, it's totally true. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> like
0: if you're you know speaking of dyeing your hair, like you're dyeing your soul patch. You know, like yeah. you're, you're 51 year old punk rock guy. You're on Facebook and you're posting about how whatever new punk band of the of, of the week they're not really punk compared to like some shitty band from like 1993. Like that's such an archetype. And this propaganda—they also have a Twitter account, but I'm sure they're way more active on Facebook. I feel like there's so many, <laughs> so many like disgruntled 51 year old punks posting on Facebook you know, the pro they're either posting about like how punk bands today aren't really punk or they're complaining about like Kanye West, you know, they're still, they're still like <laughs> Kanye West isn't music, you know, or it's like, or, yeah. or whatever rapper isn't music like that, that sort of thing. Just, yeah, you're much better off. Yeah. Be Bruce, be Bruce Hornsby. Don't be Tom York. Yeah. yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Like, you know, start listening to Towns Van Zandt and become an old country singer. I think that's a good, that's a more dignified route to me. Um, we should pay tribute to uh, two people that uh, passed away uh, in the past week. Uh, you got Jimmy Buffett, the, uh, the. I'll call him a great singer songwriter, even though I'm not. Icon, yeah. I'm not really personally a fan, but I respect, I respect him. I respect what he does, and there's a lot of people who I respect who love Jimmy Buffett. And then you have Steve Harwell, lead singer of Smash Mouth. He passed away. Uh, has anyone written like the shitty think piece linking Jimmy <laughs> Buffett to Steve Harwell about how the they were both sort of like lifestyle type musicians like they made music to be enjoyed in the summertime. I mean, has anyone done that yet or does and I don't want to like uh, you know manifest anything. but like do we have to wait for like Jack Johnson to like pass away in the no. same t- period <laughs> of time? So you have like the rule of three? Like is that? Is it gonna take that for someone to write that shitty think piece? I, has anyone linked those two yet? I feel like that was kind of like something that was on the table, and I was waiting for like the Twitter thread that linked those two, and I I, I didn't see it, but I feel like someone could do that.
1: What I did see was uh, this guy Richard Hanania, who I he famously or infamously got booted off Ronda DeSantis' PR campaign because he you know had a Nazi past, like, and he's like this guy who existed in a lot of like mainstream publications like writing some like dog whistle racist stuff but he said jimmy buffett taught americans to hate their jobs and live for nights and weekends so they could stuff themselves with food and alcohol but pride in work is what gives americans purpose and explains our success deaths of despair may be considered part of his
0: cultural legacy so we got that but as far as okay (laughs) i know right i mean look i mean jimmy buffett is the patron saint of like white collar workers. Like people that are working throughout the week, you're a, you're a middle management, you've got the polo shirt tucked into your khakis, you've got at least one cell phone holster on you <laughs> at all times like you got the bluetooth and you're living for the weekend. You're waiting for the Saturday night Jimmy Buffett show at the local amphitheater. You're going to drink like a dozen coronas with with your bros and you're going to have a good time. Like that was his brand. Like he was the uh the softer version of the Grateful Dead. Like you, you, if you like the idea of partying in a group but you don't like so many songs about death, then you, <laughs> you get into Jimmy Buffett. And look, as a proponent of the patio music lifestyle, you know, I was someone who like I wanted to get into Jimmy Buffett. And I still do want to get into Jimmy Buffett. Like I actually bought a box set at the beginning of the summer, a Jimmy Buffett box set. And I was like, I'm gonna get into this guy finally. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I there's a
1: lot of there's a big lane to become like a Jimmy Buffett explainer. You know, Dylan, Springsteen, oh, totally. that, that lane is that lane is completely packed. But Buffett, lots
0: of job opportunities in the Buffett uh reassessment world. I think so. And and you know, look, like Bob Dylan loved Jimmy Buffett. There's like a lot of songwriters who have like paid homage to Jimmy Buffett and they talk about like what a good songwriter is. And there's certain songs of his that I like. I like the song Come Monday. That's a good, easy listening hit from the 70s. I like uh, Changes in Attitudes, Changes in Latitudes. That's a good song. That's an actual song? I thought that was just like a phrase. No, that's well, he might have coined it or he okay. reappropriated it for that song. That, that's actually a, a title of one of his records. Uh, I believe that was in 77. That's the same album that has Mark... Margaret- <laughs> That's the same album that has Margaritaville on it. So look, so I'm able to spit some Jimmy Buffett knowledge here because I because right. I've tried to get into him. I it hasn't completely uh, taken for me yet. Even though I love the patio music lifestyle, the thing with Buffett is that while I love patio music, I don't like music about patios. You know, like it, you know what I mean? Like like Jimmy yeah. Jimmy Buffett wrote songs about partying and having a good time and at some point it becomes like a little too on the nose. It's like you got to expand beyond that for me to feel something deeper about the music. So I felt like I think that's my stumbling block with him. But again, I respect him. I respect the the hustle. You know, he was an incredible businessman, incredible acumen in building his empire. Um I don't know. Do you have any experience with Buffett? Did you ever dig in?
1: Well, I liked Southern Cross. That was like a song where I'm like, wait a minute, that's Jimmy Buffett in the same way that I would hear Touch of Grey and think like, wait, that's the Grateful Dead. Like, I guess that's like their overproduced 80s kind of uh, like a rock outlier. But, you know, the thing about Jimmy Buffett, which I found fascinating, is I would hear stories about when they were on tour um, after the show, like the rest of the band would be, you know, like doing things that you would expect from people who are in Jimmy Buffett's touring band and Jimmy Buffett would just be like in his hotel room looking over accounting spreadsheets, like he was just apparently like this super like control freak workaholic. Which I don't know if that like gives depth to his music in the same way that like you know Brian Wilson never surfed, but it does you know just kind of make me feel good about seeing him more as like a business person who like had a muse like who worked in the musical field that than like an actual musician and um you know circling back to uh, you know the smash mouth guy like i they make very different forms of music but i kind of associate them with like good times like i don't think people were out there trying to you know retroactively inject depth into jimmy buffett's music or like say like Fushu mang is like this you know this totem of late 90s culture like look Steve, uh, he seemed like a great dude, which, you know, which makes me feel a little bit bad that, like, All-Star is a song I absolutely despise, like, I I just cannot with it, but, um, yeah, I don't think, I I think maybe it's, like, a positive sign, or at least uh, a sign that, you know, the music writing industry is like completely collapsing that like, I have not seen anyone really try to think piece smash mouth. Yeah. I saw some people try and their heart just wasn't in it.
0: Yeah. I was waiting for that too. I was waiting for the like smash mouth was secretly a great band. Uh, think piece. And maybe that's yeah, like the hoodie style reassessment. Yeah. You know what I mean? That might still be in the pipeline. Look for people who are going to write a think piece out there. Let me, let me plant a little seed. Cause this might be an argument <laughs> for smash mouth. Like, I'm with you. I I hate All-Star. I hate that song. And like, I saw people talk about how that was actually a great song. I can see why people would like it, especially if you're of a certain age and you grew up on Shrek, you know, maybe you have some sort of nostalgic attachment to it. I can't stand All-Star. I do like the song Walking on the Sun. Mm -hmm. Do you know that song? That was like their first hit. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, that was... Yeah, I mean, I think that you could make an argument that that was... they, They certainly had a thing going on which was very much of its time yeah you know, like i could i could imagine us thinking about them in the same way you know people have uh fond memories of say like fastball or right uh, super drag bands of that nature you yeah know, like brand van wa- 3000
0: yeah like walking <laughs> on the sun it kind of has this like retro 60s pop vibe that the farfisa organ yeah farfisa organ solo which is pretty cool i watched the video for it uh earlier this week and you know they're all wearing bowling shirts in shorts, you know, like a, and they got like those like little hats on, you know, and the uh, very kind of like late 90s uh, look there, cool guy look. Um, Yeah, and I think like that late 90s moment is like the last truly frivolous moment in in popular music, where it's before 9-11. There's not a whole lot going on culturally. There's no expectation that pop music needs to be uh, profound or politically conscious or socially conscious and you've got like this group of sort of alt-rock bands you mentioned fastball and you know ska Jason, if you will uh, marcy playground i mean all those sort of like one hit wondery type bands uh that mm. i have affection for smash mouth in a way you could say is like the quintessential band of that era you know in, in, in terms of that um so I don't know. I remember hating a lot of that music at the time, and now I look back <laughs> on it and I have like a good amount of affection for it. I think because of like just the frivolousness of the time. Like, yeah, I mean, you hate Y two K, and Y two K, you know,
1: panic hadn't quite set in yet either.
0: Right. So, and Y two K seems like such a innocent thing to worry about now. I don't know. There's something sort of sweet about it. It's not like, uh you know you're worried like the things that we worry about now although like when you uh um listen to All-Star I was listening to All-Star again for this do you remember like there's like a verse in there about climate change uh there probably is i'm going to i'm i'm going to take your word for it it's sort of like how you
1: find out in retrospect that like you know, like slide is about like getting abort and like good all slides about getting an abortion and so is like brick and i'm sure it's there you know yeah i trust you on that i'm not going to listen to it to back it up but i, I trust you on that
0: okay because okay the line goes uh okay it's a cool place and they say it gets colder you're, you're bundled up now wait till you get older but the meteor men beg to differ Judging by the hole in the satellite picture. So, okay, ozone layer. Sounds like a 1975 song. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin. The water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. My world's Hmm. on fire. How about yours? That's the way I'd like it, and I'll never get bored. So basically saying, got this climate change thing going on (laughs) in the late 90s. The world's on fire but it's great. I'm having a I'm having a good time. Like that's the that's the message of this lyric. That kind of encapsulates I think how we felt about climate change back then. It was sort of like, well, whatever. Let's put on a bo- <laughs> yeah. let's put on a bowling shirt. Let's go see Shrek again. Life is good and we'll worry about that in 20 years. And now it's yeah, like, now it's 20 years later and now we're worrying about it. But you know, again, like you know back then it was like the world's on fire, how about yours? That's the way I like it and I'll never get bored. What a great lyric. What a great lyric that is from Smash Mouth. Yeah, Mo. he, he he went in on that one. That that could be all a th- right. that, someone should be think piecing that. By the way, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to our fall albums fantasy draft. I'm really excited about this. This is in honor of the NFL season, which began on I guess the day before this episode post on my birthday, which is a, a wonderful thing uh, to have on your birthday. This is the idea. So we're going to look at upcoming albums that are coming out starting today through the end of the year. We're each going to pick five albums. And the idea is whoever comes up with the highest cumulative Metacritic score with our five albums wins the fantasy draft. So we'll we'll have to follow up in December. (laughs) Now, we were talking about this. And you suggested that instead of doing cumulative Metacritic score, that we do the cumulative or the average, I guess, year-end placement on best-of lists. Which is a good idea, except, and I'm making the case for Metacritic score, that's something that we can track throughout the fall. So we're going to know what a Metacritic score is as the albums come out. Whereas if we have to wait for a year-end list, we're not going to know until December. And I think it will, it's just more fun, And also maybe a little easier to understand if we can just follow the Metacritic scores as the year goes on. So like, for instance, there's like a big album coming out today that I expect to be a high draft pick for one of us. Mm -hmm. We're going to know right away, okay, that person, Mm -hmm. whoever drafts that album is going to have a big lead right away. Because we're going to know what that score is. But then there's other albums coming out later this month into October and November Where we're gonna have a little back and forth, and we can do updates on this throughout the fall. We can we can we can keep people updated on where we're at. Does that make sense too? Can we
1: do yeah? Can we do like waiver wires? Like like I'm trying to pick up like the third uh, receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Like every single year, uh, you know, I pick up like uh, Michael Gallup or something like that, and that might just be like a jazz album that you know becomes like the token number forty two slot. So uh i'm excited to see how this evolves but i'm really i'm excited about the draft and also the possibility of it evolving throughout the year because um yeah by the way i did join a i used to joke on this podcast that um you know back in like 2010 or whatever like pitchfork was more like a fantasy football league that that reviewed albums and now i'm in a pitchfork uh fan, uh fantasy football league with like people from 2010 Wow. So, um I love yeah, it. Texans is Texans
0: is the reason. That's uh that's my team name. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. I'm I, proud of that one. <laughs> I like this idea. I wish you guys would make this public. It's almost like when they do like Road Rules MTV. Like they have like cast members from the past. They come and compete. <laughs> yeah. Like Pitchfork should have something on their site where you have like the the old school Pitchfork people come back. And they have a fantasy league, and you can follow them. Like, like is is <laughs> is is Brent De in your league? I want to. Nah, we're talking
1: we're talking like 2010 era. So okay. I was disappointed because in the draft chat, it was like all talk about you know actual football and no one bringing up like Twin
0: Shadow or Gauntlet Hair
1: albums. I, oh
0: man, you know already
1: we're off to a poor start.
0: Well, okay, let's get into our draft here, and the way it's going to go, I'm going to flip a coin, and whoever wins mm. the coin toss can choose whether they want to go first or get the second and third pick. So, like, if you get the first pick, the next person gets the second and third pick, and then we'll go back and forth. Does that make sense? Uh, I like it. Okay, so I'm going to flip a coin. You're just going to have to trust me, I guess, that I, I'm, I'm telling the truth. Okay, I'm going to flip right now. Call it. I'm flipping. Call it. Heads. It is heads. All right. All right, so you want the first pick or do you want the second and third pick? I'm going to take second and third. Okay, very good. Um, Okay, so I got the first pick. I feel like there are two big dogs in the fall uh, pool of albums. And I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to pick. There was one that I was going to pick for sure. But then there was the other one, and maybe I'm overthinking it. And I also wonder if you're not going to think of it. This other one Hmm. so maybe it's just obvious to me so I'm gonna go with what I think is the obvious one and that is Olivia Rodrigo Guts which is out today I think that album is going to be very well reviewed you've talked about it being a potential album of the year candidate just because of where we're at critically it seems like that's an album that people want to embrace I think it's going to have a high Metacritic score so I'm going Olivia Rodrigo as the number one pick how do you feel about that? Would that was that on your leaderboard? For it
1: wasn't because I you you mentioned in our pre-chat that you think of Olivia Rodrigo as like the Pat Mahomes of this, which yeah one of the one of the one of the things that one needs to consider before going into a fantasy football league is what the rules of the draft are. So like if I was you know putting together like who I think is going to be the MVP, if I wanted to like build a team around someone, it would of course be Pat Mahomes. In the same way, I think that olivia rodrigo is gonna win most album of the years um but like if we're talking about straight up fantasy points like number one pick in every draft is justin jefferson you got to put the person who they might not win per se but they're gonna get the highest score so i think that's a good pick but like this is the equivalent of me of someone picking pat mahomes first rather than justin jefferson very interesting
0: okay so what are your two picks here then
1: Okay, so I'm going to take, my first pick is going to be the only one on my, like, you know, uh, cheat sheet, which I think you're going to possibly choose, and that's going to be Sufjan Stevens. Mm. Um, I'm going to choose him because, A, I think he's on your radar, and B, because I feel like we're going to, we're due for a very big bounce back from this guy. I think that people really like the first single because it's going back more towards the Carrie and Lowell style of music that he was making. and I think people have softened on the ascension so I see that as a big rebound year.
0: And again, this uh, is, I, this, this album is called Javelin, it comes out October 6th and it, it it's like a sort of a throwback to Carrie and Lowell, right? Is isn't that the idea with this record?
1: That seems to be the case. Like it's one where it's like, "Oh, it's a kind of a quick and easy Sufjan album," like which means that it took 3 years to
0: put together <laughs> rather than 5. Okay, that's a good pick. That's that wasn't I I had it on my on my list but it wasn't like in the top 3 or 4. So mm-hmm. I don't feel burned by that, but it's a good pick. I think that'll be re- really well reviewed. What's your other pick?
1: All right. So before I get into this pick, I, I think maybe I just got to throw out a ground rule in the middle. None of us can pick, uh, Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's. Whoa, version.
0: whoa. Wait a second. Why?
1: Uh, does that count as a new album? Cause that, that would be my second pick.
0: Oh yeah, that definitely counts. I, that was on my, my list of, uh, that okay. was that was the other album I was considering going at number one. Was yeah yeah. So that definitely counts.
1: And it's okay because, if it counts. I gotta go with that. Okay
0: yeah. That's a good pick. Um, I mean it is interesting because because I've been thinking about this with Taylor Swift. You know people are talking about. I mean obviously she's having a real moment with the Eras tour. You know, incredibly you know for how famous she's been for as long it seems like she's bigger than ever right now. It's like an incredible. Yeah moment she's having, I do think it's a little cheap when people are like, oh, she's put out five great albums in the last two years. It's like, well, no, she's <laughs> yeah. she's re-recording albums, and I know that she's putting a different spin on it, but it is interesting how these albums are being treated as, like, new records in a way by music critics. You know, like, like, like All Too Well, like the Taylor... That was, like, a much yeah. expanded version of that song, but um, I feel like people... You know, because they're not being reviewed as, like, retrospective releases. They're being reviewed as, like, new efforts from her. And yeah, it seems like a... I don't know. There's something about that that doesn't seem right. It seems like she's found a cheat code that <laughs> or, like, a loophole or something. You know what I mean? Because normally, like, an artist would just, like, reissue their albums, like, with bonus tracks. And it would be understood that, like, well, this doesn't really count as an album that came out this year. But she's, like, re-recording her albums... And now they're being counted as new in a way.
1: Yeah, it's she's. This is kind of like Christian McCaffrey in the sense that you get like you get like kind of two streams of points here. First of which is that it's you already know that you know which you know nineteen eighty nine famously not reviewed initially by Pitchfork. Um, oh man, so they'll go overboard probably this time. <laughs> yeah, this is. I'm like the fact that this is on the table makes me extremely confident. But yeah, this is. Uh, I think if we're playing by the rules of the game, you know this is definitely a uh, Metacritic score, but not year-end list. So I'm playing the hand I'm dealt. Yeah, with. I'm very confident about this draft pick.
0: Again, that that was my other album I was considering for number one, and I'm having second thoughts now. I I I, I was really going in between Rodrigo and Swift. That's a good pick for my number two. Uh, I'm gonna go with an album that I've heard, and I I won't comment too much on it yet because it comes out next week and i assume we'll talk about it then but i i have been listening to it a lot and i have a feeling it's going to be really well reviewed this artist i think took a little bit of a dip at least critically with her last record my feeling is that she's going to rebound significantly with critics with her latest record i'm talking about mitski the land is inhospitable and so are we it comes out next week that's my number two pick. I think it's going to be really well reviewed.
1: Yeah, that's a good pick. We talked about last uh, on a previous episode how Laurel Hell like took like kind of an immediate like hit, but then it you know it, its its reputation is you know really rebounded in the time since. So I think that's yeah, that's that's a that's solid. That's reliable. That's it, uh, Jamar Chase. <laughs> and it,
0: and you know obviously from a commercial standpoint, it it only helped her. I mean, she's a huge right. star now. Although when you go on uh, Spotify, I feel like her t- most streamed songs are not from Laurel Hell. I feel like it's still "Be the Cowboy." Let me look this up. I, I just want to make sure I'm not wrong on that. But I, I feel like I looked at this recently and I didn't see. Any- she seems like the type
1: where there's like maybe one song from like "Bury Me at Makeout Creek" that has like it's like she has her like harness her hopes, but no, "Washing Machine Heart" is killing it
0: yeah that's like that's at 532 million streams um odd yeah like bury me at makeout creek very strong in streaming first love late spring 270 million um
1: not even like the famous songs that i like you know townies not up there like there are two songs that just absolutely dominate from this one huh this is a very interesting very interesting numbers on that
0: one yeah and you know you think of a song like your best American girl you would expect that would to be up there and you know it, it it's not in like the top 10 I think it's maybe just outside of it um nobody is I think is your second most popular song that that that's that tracks but yeah there's that's, yeah that sounds right so yeah I don't know I, I again I feel like Laurel hell I I wasn't a fan of that album personally um I feel like that album generally got good reviews but it was like a little less ecstatic than you would expect for an artist like Mitski again I don't want to say too much about how I feel about the album but I, I think that 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 her latest album uh in, in spite of having like a pretty clunky title uh the land is inhospitable and so are we I don't know I don't love that album title but I think that record I feel good about that being my number two pick yeah, I'm
1: not I'm not letting a clunky album title get in the way of my enjoyment of a record. Yeah. I think my track records be for itself.
0: Of course. Uh
1: what is your uh number 3 pick? All right, another one where I'm playing the hand I'm dealt. I'm going to go with uh and this might not be on your radar. I'm going to go with uh Lorraine. Yep. Um this is an artist that, that was on um, my radar for sure. Uh, yeah, this is an artist who um in 2021, I believe, had a record come out that was really well reviewed, but like she's still kind of under the radar um, as far as like mainstream publications. Um, Fatigue was named that record, one I really, really enjoyed. And um, I think that we're setting up now for a, um, you know, I I think we're setting up for like a record where it's like kind of a makeup call. Not that like I'm saying I haven't heard this record yet, but I feel like a lot of artists that a lot of publications that like weren't up to speed on uh, Lorraine in 2021 are going to come back like super hard on um, I Killed Your Dog, which is the name of the album. Uh, she has kind of a... Um... Also, she's like beefing with The Wire right now. Uh, she had like a cover story that like she did not like at all. And so that's kind of an interesting subplot. Like, I look, we've all... I'm sure you've been in that seat where you've like done a profile on an artist that you really like and the artist hates it. Um, that's the worst feeling. Yeah, yeah. So but I haven't even read it because like the wire is like a print publication. Like people are mad. They haven't even read it, but yeah, this is an artist. She's kind of doing like a, it's indie It's kind of indie rock, but it's also like, you know, a little more obscure and R B it's very much of the moment right now. And it sounds like the quintessential album that like critics like, and it's also like really good. She's a very cool artist. So I think that one's going to be, uh, that's going to be in some top fives this year. I- I'm very confident about that pick.
0: Yeah, I, I that was on my board too, and it it definitely slots into that critical catnip category where, like you said, it's a combination of like indie rock influences and R and B, and there's a lot of like sort of arty experimentation going on. It just seems like just pencil that in as like an 8.8 or an <laughs> 80 or an 88 like Metacritic score. You know, right on. like it's just gonna. That, those records kill with critics. Yeah, that was definitely on my list. That's a very good pick. Um, for my For my number three, I'm gonna go with uh, a record that's coming out on September 28th, uh, 29th. ninth. It's called "We Buy Diabetics Test Strips." It's by a rapper called Ooh. Arm and Hammer. I just think this that again, this is the kind of record you know. We we've talked previously about how you know there haven't been like a lot of critically acclaimed rap records this year and this record just feels like it could slot into that like billy woods zone like what billy woods what that record was for the first half of 2023 i feel like this album is good for like a mid like 88 like another like like (laughs) like a mid 80s score on on metacritic i I just think it's gonna do well his first album or his, his previous record that came out in 2021 got an 83 I would expect this album to do about the same. So Arm and Hammer, I'm putting that at number three on my list. I th-
1: I would be skeptical about that because Billy Woods is part of Arm and Hammer and Maps, uh, the album that they fucking incredible record might be my number one. I think that maybe that's a little bit that might have stolen its thunder. Plus, like Arm and Hammer is like way more uh, abstract and inaccessible than Billy Woods solo work. So I think it'll be received very well, but. I think that um it might be seen
0: as like an accessory to maps, so But again, if we if we were doing the year end list thing, I think yes. I'd be more concerned. But I think this album can still do well without it overshadowing the Billy Woods record. I, I still think, you know, even if people like this one a little bit less, it's still gonna be well reviewed. I also think that it may not be reviewed by a ton of people. But the Mm -hmm. people who do review it are going to like it. So sometimes if if you can get the album that's only reviewed by about five or six places, (laughs) that's like a good cheat code for this sort of thing. So I still feel good about that. I'm going to stick with that as my third round pick. Yeah, Uh, you mentioned
1: like if you're playing the hand you're dealt, like you got to go with like the metal album that's like reviewed by like four (laughs) places and gets like a 90. So I'm going to like my bonus pick. I'm not going to go with it. But like something like Baroness would be that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Year. That's a good one. Uh,
1: what's, your, what's your number four pick? So uh, this one feels like a slam dunk to me. I'm going with Jamila Woods. Um, her new album comes out in October. It's called... Um, what, "It's the, Fuck, what? Water Made Us. That's the name of it. Um, so she is a Chicago R&B artist, also a poet who um you know just like very well respected her previous albums heaven and legacy legacy did really really well and this is gonna slot to me like the kind of all r&b all like kind of like alternative slash indie out al- r&b album that like does it's in the top five of every uh single list i mean it's released on jag jaguar so i'm not saying like indie like that's indie for real so Um, This one just feels like money in the bank. Uh, I know that the first couple of singles have been treated really well. And, you know, it's even more critical catnip in the year 2023 than maybe even Lorraine. I I feel like this one is just... This is is a sure shot to me.
0: That's a good pick. Yeah, I think, again, going in that sort of like indie rock R&B lane, that is just money in the bank. You're not going to go wrong. I can't see... A record like that doing worse than like you know like the 80 metacritic score you know, that's i'm thinking 90 i'm thinking 90s for well, this this
1: would have been my number one pick if i thought it was like a bigger deal yeah
0: i'm just, I'm just talking about the floor like the floor for like right. that kind of record is like an 80 which is like a really high floor so you're always going good with that uh my number four this might be a little bit of a reach but i have a good feeling about this album i'm i'm gonna be uh profiling this band and they just seem to be having some buzz. And I could see them getting that like, oh, this is like an exciting young band bump, you know, that you saw from Wednesday. People just like wanted to give that a good review. This band has a lower profile, but I, I, I could see them being really ascendant in the fall. And it's a band called Slow Pulp. Uh, they're mm. from Chicago. They have an album called Yard that comes out at the end of September. Really good record. Uh it's the kind of band that I think again you could put in that like Rat Boys Wednesday Lane, but they're a little more, I think, uh, versatile in terms of what they can do. Like there's some country sounding songs on that record. There's some almost like pop punk sounding songs on that album. Um They're the kind of band that I, I'm sure like there was like a paramore influence on this band at some point, but there's also like the indie rock thing at the same time. Um I just think they, they they push a lot of buttons and they're a really good band. So they're a band that I think could sneak in and do quite well, especially like as you go out and you're looking at like the consequences of sounds out there and the pace out there. I, this is a like a band like this is the kind of band that I could see doing really well, like with those kind of publications and just kind of sneaking in like maybe higher than you would expect at the end of the year. So they're going to be my reach. Maybe I'm trying to manifest this because I just like the band, but I'm going to go slow pulpit. Number four, kind of a dark horse pick. All
1: right. Yeah. I mean, I think that album's going to be well received. I think that the, the, it's like a high floor, low ceiling pick. Like, I don't think it's going to be like the always of this year. I think Wednesday's in that spot, but I think people are going to like it a lot. I like this record. Um, I think you are comfort food.
0: Yeah. It's going to go from like 80 to 85. I would expect it to be in there. And so, yeah, it's not the home run pick, but you know, I, I feel like it's um, I feel pretty safe picking them knowing that they're going to deliver like a, a, a double or a triple for me. Right on. It, it, even though it's fantasy football. Um. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Mixing uh sports here, mixing metaphors. All right, so am I at number
1: 5 now or is yep. that you? Yeah, no, okay. this is your last pick. All right, so I'm like I'm like tempted to do the kind of Deshaun Watson uh pick of like I feel Fucking awful about this, but I know it's gonna do numbers. Like we can go with Rosheen Murphy, whose <laughs> album, like, I, it's coming out this week, and it's like kind of getting power, like power bottomed, but also like really well reviewed at the same time. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh one. yeah,
0: you, you. So you are you're honestly going with Rosine no, Murphy? I'm not going.
1: I, I just want to. I I, I just. Want, I'm not going with it. I just want to say I'm like fascinated by how this one's going to play out yeah um because like on the one like this one was like set to be like straight up album of the year in some places until um you know much like propaganda and their fans uh she had to pop off on facebook about puberty blockers so now the album isn't even being like promoted by ninja tune um but i some of the reviews are already out and it's it's a very weird sort of situation i can't wait to see how that plays out but for my number five I'm going to go with, um, you know, in the same way that uh, every, you know, most of the previews for fantasy football this year say to go heavy on wide receivers, even if it's like a half PPR draft, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Sampha as my number five. Mm. Uh, this is an artist who, um, you know, kind of like I would say R and B, but like they're on young. It's not called young Turks anymore. Um, I'm trying to think of what the way la- it's called young. Now that's the name of the label kind of part of XL, like, you know, they're kind of XX adjacent. Uh, They had a feature on um, A Seat at the Table, that uh, Solange album in 2016. Their album in 2017, Process, was really well-reviewed. And, I mean, it's just like getting a volume receiver. If you go with, like, little left-of-center R&B, you can't go wrong, especially for some artists who hasn't put out a record in six years. Uh, Not really my thing, but I, I, I imagine this one doing super well. Um, again, like this is just the high ceiling, very high ceiling with this one. So I'm confident in rounding out my roster. It's like an almost all R&B pop list. So I'm just playing that. I'm just playing the field right now.
0: Yeah, those are good picks. I, man, you have a really good (laughs) team here. I'm feeling a little nervous about my chances here, but you know what? I'm going to take another risk at number five. I'm going to go with Marnie Stern at number five. Uh, Ooh. she's coming back with her first album in 10 years. It's called the comeback kid. It comes out on November 3rd. Um, you know, she's someone that I think that a certain kind of critic has a lot of affection for, and it's a critic who is probably around our age. You know, been in- <laughs> that was, my, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> they've been, the, they've been in the music game for a long time and that person is going to be inclined to love this album. Because it is a comeback album, and this album's gonna have to be pretty bad, I think, for it not <laughs> to get good reviews. I think that if it's just okay, it's gonna get like a like a half star or half point bump, or maybe even more than that. And again, it's gonna be a situation where you got a lot of music writers between the of ages, ages of let's say thirty nine and forty seven reviewing this record. No one younger is gonna do it. But they're going to like it. And again, I think it could be an album that isn't reviewed a ton. But in the places that it is reviewed, it's going to be reviewed well. And I think it could go potentially mid to upper 80s for a Metacritic score. So I'm, um, it's a risk because you don't know. I mean, if the because the album could be bad. You know, she hasn't made a record in a while. But I feel like generally like these comeback records like where there's a long gap. There's been a good track record where those albums end up being like pretty good to great and i think she could deliver something really strong that people then are inclined to really you know give a boost to so i'm yeah, going to go that, with that that's a, that's a risk but i i feel like it's a it's a good risk
1: yeah this is like drafting like a tight end or like you know like the like the eagles defense you know it's not like a it's not a sexy pick per se but like you know what you're going to get and yeah people who this is going to get well reviewed by the 45 year old person at each publication uh, who's just like super stoked to see Marnie uh, Stern come back. You know, if Ponytail or uh, I'm trying to think of other 2008 type bands come back, like uh, th- it would be the same. So that's, that's a solid pick. That is, that is knowing the rules of the game and playing by them. I like that pick for you.
0: So let's review our picks. My picks are Olivia Rodrigo, Mitski, Armin Hammer, Slow Pulp, and Marnie Stern. Ian's picks are Sufjan Stevens, Taylor Swift, Lorraine, Jamila Woods, and Sampha. Yeah, you got a good team, man. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm hoping that uh, Sufjan pulls a Hammy here and uh, <laughs> lets lets people down. Uh, I feel like the others are really money in the bank, and we know Taylor Swift, 1989. I mean that's that's for sure going to be... We already know what that record is. So, yeah. you know, we know that's going to do well. Um, but I don't know. I feel good about Rodrigo. I feel good about Mitski. I think they're going to carry the day. I, I, and I took some risks, but I feel good about them. So we'll see. We'll we'll As the fall season unfolds, we'll do a scoreboard and we'll let people know who's in the lead. We'll know me right away, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, we'll know next week. So I hope she delivers for me. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: So, uh, I think this album's gonna do pretty well, um, even though it's like kind of a niche um, it's kind of a niche affair. Um so Sparkle Horse, a band who put out um, a number of like really incredible records um, throughout the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, they are putting out a posthumous album called Bird Machine this week. And, um, you know, for those, I imagine that a lot of people listening to this podcast are familiar with Sparkle Horse, but um, they emerged, at least in my view, as, you know, like a band that Radiohead was into. Like that was the best possible endorsement you could get in like 1996. And, you know, the singer Mark Linkus, he was from Virginia. And, you know, I lived in Virginia when he was at his peak. And, um, it was kind of this like junkyard sort of indie, but also like orchestral. I mean, like I hear a lot of his work and like artists like Alex G nowadays, but you know, he is someone who had a lot of health scares, a lot of, um, you know, substance and mental health issues. And he died in 2010 and there were always a couple of clo- there were a couple of close calls before then. Good morning, My- good morning spider was about the time he was like hospitalized. And like, I think he like thought he was paralyzed, but um, you know, I get iffy about posthumous albums, you know, but one of the albums I've come around a lot on over the past couple of years is Elliot Smith's From a Basement on a Hill. So, you know, perhaps I'm like more inclined to, uh, you know, maybe be sentimental uh, towards stuff like this. And this is actually a, this is a good album. You know, it's nothing that like changes what you think about Sparkle Horse, these songs were kind of sort of done and finished by their family. I think Steve Albini was on the original recording. Uh, So these are from like 2009, 2010. And yeah, I mean, even though it's like tragic circumstances, you're listening to an artist who, you know, passed away like 13, 14 years ago, it still feels like comfort food in a way you know it's like this is a band that i loved and it's you know they still got it and or they still had it and they were still making like really strong interesting music towards um you know the end of their life so um yeah if you if you haven't checked out a uh, good morning spider um fucking incredible record but uh this one's good too so bird machine sparkle horse
0: i gotta say i've not gone deep on sparkle horse this, this is one of the bands on my long list of bands that i need to uh to bone up on because I've always heard good uh, things.
1: David Lowry from Cracker, I believe, produced uh, Vixie, D- Viva Dixie Submarine. I, I cannot fucking remember the name of that title, but that was the one that put him on Radiohead's uh, uh, radar. You know, if you like the midpoint between
0: Cracker and Radiohead, uh, early Sparkle Horse will uh, fill that void for you. Maybe that was around the time that David Lowry did uh, This Desert Life for uh, Counting Crows.
1: Uh, by the way, I saw a, a bit of Counting Crows uh, this past weekend. Um, yeah, he, Adam, Adam Duritz does, he's definitely letting the crowd carry Mr. Jones these
0: days. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's always taking liberties with that song. I feel like, you know, going back a long time. Uh, the album I want to talk about actually came out in June, but I've really been into it like for the past month. I actually wrote about it in my August, 2023 roundup of records, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet this week. Uh, it's an album called and this is an unfortunate album title it's called western come and it's by a guy named Corey hansen who you may know from the la psych rock band wand Uh, i do and he's also been working on his own this is his third solo record and it's just a delightful guitar rock album I, i think someone on twitter actually recommended that i check this out because they thought it'd be up my alley and they were totally right. It is up my alley. And it's the kind of record that I would say it sounds a little like Boston in places with the singer from Bread singing the songs. <laughs> uh, and there's also like a little bit of Sloan in there, a little bit like Raspberries, like a lot of power pop, but just like a lot of like 70s FM rock to it. Very melodic songs. Very just huge sounding guitars. There's like a little bit of like a punk influence on on some of the numbers. Like sort of like an art punk thing going on. Uh, which I think points to Hanson's work with Wand. Uh, because Wand is more, again, it's in the psychedelic realm. Uh, also, you know, there's like some kraut rock stuff in Wand. And they're just like an artier outfit. Whereas the solo material that Corey Hanson does, it's much more red meat you know ear candy type music and again i've just been listening to this record a ton it's a great late summer early fall record um it was it flew under the radar for me because again I, i i got into it about a month or two after it came out but uh if you're into any of the bands i just mentioned i think you will like this record a lot again it's called western come and yes come is spelled the way you expect it to be spelled uh Kind of a gross title, but get past the title. It's a great album. Corey Hansen is the artist. Uh, really good record.
1: Yeah, that, that, that is one where I'm like, how come Steve hasn't mentioned this on uh, on Recommendation Corner yet? But like, I love the fact that we 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 have now mentioned, you know, Bread has entered the chat. Love it. You know?
0: <laughs> I mean, and I could have said David Gates from Bread. I, I didn't want to get too nerdy <laughs> with it, but I do know the lead singer of Bread. It's David Gates. Uh, And he just has that great soft rock voice, like maybe the greatest soft rock voice of the 70s. And I think Hansen's vocals have a similar timbre to them. And it's a great juxtaposition with this like wall of guitars that he builds on this record so again very fun album yeah
1: brett brett i only know of bread because on the simpsons that's when that's what homer's looking for during the homer palooza episode when he goes into the record store so we have to close it out we, we've we covered fantasy football guided by voices bread we are yeah. really we are really
0: owning our age right now baby i'm gonna want you that's just the <laughs> baby i'm a need you baby yeah. i'm gonna need you beautiful song Thank you for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.